You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 33, where we talk with John Mulligan about archery antelope hunting. Hello, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in to the podcast hosted on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Hope you're having a great day. Hope the new year is off to a great start for you, and you guys had a Merry Christmas as well. With the start of the year, it's now the time to start thinking about what you're doing for this coming fall, where you're hunting, where you're going. And if you've yet to go on a Western hunt, a deer hunt, or an elk hunt, I highly suggest Colorado. I've got a Colorado beginner elk hunting guide on my website. You can go there, find everything you want about scouting and preparing and planning for your DIY elk hunt in Colorado. With that being said, some of you guys may know this, some of you might not, but I helped my buddy's dad out and uh, in Colorado here, and he has a property with a number of cabins where we book hunters through every year. Now, this is not a guided service. This is not a guided outfitter. This is simply a piece of property with cabins that we book people. People pay to stay there and and go on a on a cool hunt. Let me let me tell you a little bit about this and why it's pretty intriguing for the first time hunter. It's a private mile long gated road to access the cabins and the property. So it means you have a serious advantage over everybody else that's trying to get up there. It's, it's blocked off. Only you will have the key to get up there. The property sits at 10,200 feet elevation and it's completely surrounded by a national forest. So you can go up, down, east, west, and you're right in the back door of these elk and mule deer that live up at these high elevations. You don't have to go as far. You don't have to climb as much during the day because you're already starting at such an advantage. Cabins are, are rustic, but they have beds. We have running water. They have stoves, your cookware. There's a grill up there. You have everything you need to make your hunt more enjoyable. It's always nice to come back to a warm, cozy bed each night you're rested you're 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 better prepared for the next day it's not it's not easy this is tough terrain so having those cabins to come back to makes it really really nice this area that these cabins are in in this unit all archery tags for non-resident elk 
are over the counter and all second and third season rifle tags for elk are over the counter for if you're looking to hunt mule deer we have clients that come in every year and hunt deer out of there you can usually draw that tag for archery for one to two points and then depending on the other seasons for rifle could take more just depends on you know what year to year how everything's going Dan Johnson hunted there last year. We had a blast. It's some of the most beautiful country. We had some great encounters. I killed my 300 300 inch bull there a couple years ago. It's just a really, really good spot. Good quality hunts, beautiful scenery, beautiful mountains, and a really, really nice advantage to, to access all of that national forest that surrounds the property. The rates are very affordable. We have rates starting at $625 per person, a four-group minimum, for a five-day, six-night stay. So, or sorry, a six-day, five-night stay. So you combine that with your tag, splitting gas money with your buddies. You can easily do this Colorado hunt for under $1,500. So like I said, $625 a person, you get access to the cabins, you got a great spot to stay for your week hunt in Colorado. So if you're interested, spots are limited. We're, we're only booking a certain number of guys and, and groups through the, through the camp this year. So if you're interested in, in, in staying in that spot for 2019, send me an email titled Hunt Camp to adam at transitionwild.com. Or you can go to the contact page on my website. Just send a note saying Hunt Camp to adam at transitionwild.com or fill out the contact page on my website. I can answer any questions you want. And if you want to check out more photos and more stuff about the cabin, you can go to lifetimeadventuresllc.com. All right, today's episode, we have John Mulligan. I love this guy. He's he's I've known him for the past couple years, and he's just a genuinely good dude, great hunter, Um. He's got his own web show, podcast. A lot of you guys probably know him. He's um, He used to be one of the partners in Wicked Tree Gear, who then sold to Tecamati Holdings. So now he's the marketing manager there for all of those brands underneath that umbrella. And he's just a great guy, fun to talk to. And today we're talking about archery antelope hunting. He's been out to Montana a couple times. And he's been able to have some success and some really cool hunts. So he shares his strategies, his tactics, his tips, and successes and failures along the way. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I had a great time talking with John. So let's not wait any longer. Let's bring John Milligan on the line. All right, on the line with us now, John Mulligan. How the hell are you, man? What's going on, buddy? How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I... I uh coming off the christmas high man it's uh it's you know that tis the season right it, it, you're you're on vacation you're back to work and then you're you know a couple days off and now we're both you and i are getting ready to gear up for ata so trade show season is upon us I, i'm kind of freaking out <laughs> i know well this this is the october lull you know <laughs> yeah. right after uh right after christmas which is kind of like this is that down period where it's not New Year's. It's it's not Christmas. Half of the world is working. Half the world isn't. We're all still in a food coma. Um, Sugar there's buzz. There's not a lot of daytime activity. You know, wait, well, no, we're talking about hunting again. Um, 
Yeah, so it's just, it, this is a strange time of year, but yeah, like you said, ATA is right around the corner, SHOT Show, you know, we get into trade show season, and this is definitely um, the crazy time of year. Oh, me. yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I've I've been following some of your social media posts on Instagram. You, it looks like you've been doing some late season whitetail hunting in Iowa on public land. Uh, how, how's that been going? Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got out a couple days. Um, you know, the first year that I moved here, uh, the fall of 2016, I shot my buck on public land. And last year, um, that was always a goal for me. I always wanted to hunt public, and last year it just didn't pan out. Um, didn't have a lot of stuff moving on in some of in my, some of my you know my areas. And this year, I crashed into public really early the season. I spent my first two weeks in public land only this year. Um, and then I moved over to a piece of private that I had that I put a lot of work into, but late season, I'm like, okay, I get another chance. I'm going back. I got my late season tag. I'm going to head into, into public and see what's shaking. And I tell you what, those bucks have not changed their travel times or patterns whatsoever since September. Really? That they are consistently 10 PM to 2 AM. <laughs> no nothing has changed. No, nothing daylight. Yeah, what uh so are you hunting a lot of like kind of big wood stuff? Are you kinda of hunting more draws, food yeah. sources? What's what's the typical day look like for you now? Uh well in, in public, you know, that's the downside. Years ago, um I, I've been told I, I wasn't here then, but I, I was told years ago the Iowa public land they actually used to do a lot of food plots and there was a lot of set aside, um, there was even some CRP areas and stuff like that. But what they're now all of that set aside is just all cedars, and so I'm I'm hunting, um, you know, stereotypical ridge that necks down, uh, kind of funnels into the into a corner of uh, a piece of private, um, his ag, ag field. Um, so I'm about 70 yards inside of uh, inside of public, but it's a pretty good little little funnel and um, a lot of activity. It's just a lot of nighttime activity, so. I need to start backtracking those travel routes, um, and that's it's a hot spot. It's just not a hot spot. They're not killable bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but it's you know a lot of, a lot of acorns, um, but definitely what I would refer to as big woods. Nice, nice. That's that's always exciting this time of year. That's I I always enjoy late season hunting because it's. It's almost simple in its approach. Like the rut can just be crazy and 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 hit or miss. It's late season. You're kind of going back to the basics, kind of like you did in early season, and you're pushing further back in, and you know just kind of kind of playing that whole uh, bed to feed and kind of travel corridor pattern. And it's just a lot of fun. I, I miss it. You know, coming from Michigan and moving to Colorado, I don't I don't get to just walk out to the tree stand anymore. So I I oh, uh, sure. I definitely miss this time of year. It's always fun. Yeah, well, and, you know, and like you said, it, it does kind of get back to that simple kind of early season. Um, you know, early season, you usually, typically, you're not sitting all day, and you're hunting a lot of evenings. And, you know, late season is very similar for me. Um, I don't hunt a lot of mornings um, unless we have just great fronts and it's really, really cold. Um, I do hunt a lot of evenings, and, you know, it seems like they go back to that, they're they're not coming out until those the last hour sometimes so my evening sits i might only 
be in the stand two hours um, and then you're back out again. So it does make it kind of nice and it's, it is kind of relaxing and, and I, and I'll be honest, it surely helps when you already have one buck on the ground, you know, in Iowa. So (laughs) yeah, congrats on that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That was a sweet buck. Yeah. So you took that in November, right? Yep, November 8th, um, and one of the very interesting things about that deer is that I haven't actually had a chance to really um, kind of put the information out there. There were some observations about that buck. His body size was so different. I actually had that buck consistently on trail camera all through July and August. Nice. And then August 5th was the last day that I got a picture of him, and I hung a stand um, to potentially take that, try to go after that deer, make a play on him early season, as long as he stayed on consistent patterns. He didn't, he was, he just vanished. I mean, completely vanished. You know, I run about 30 trail cameras and I didn't have a single picture of him anywhere. And I thought my first, you know, my first thought was, man, EHD, we were starting to get some EHD cases popping up down here. And, um, it got really, really dry. I mean, all of my water sources, uh, all of my, small ponds that I had put in water holes, they'd all dried up. And I'm like, Oh boy, this isn't good. You know, we're, I was probably due for another EHD outbreak. And then when I, when, uh, my buddy and I, uh, my good friend of mine, Billy C, he also lives in Iowa. He had tagged out and he called and he says, Hey, he said, I'm coming down. I'm going to run the camera for you. Let's get after it for a few days. So for him and I, it was just two guys getting together, going to go hunt and have a good time. And, we ended up grunting this buck in from probably 350 yards away. I didn't even recognize the deer. And I'm usually one of those guys that, you know, I spot a deer. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that buck <laughs> uh, that squiggles from 2015 or, you know what I mean? Yep, but yep. Um, I didn't even recognize this deer. And he had the, he had the size, he had the length, he had the height, um, but he just had so much, like, loose uh, like almost like loose skin, like he was like a Sharpay version of, of a whitetail, you know. And I knew that he was a mature deer. I ended up taking the deer. And even when I'm putting my hands on the horns, I'm like, it still did not dawn on me that this was the buck from from August, because um, he was so much more massive then. I mean, I'll have to send you the video. It'll just it'll it'll blow yeah, you away. Yeah, but you can see clearly it. see it's the same deer. And so, anyways. Um, I ended up talking to a good friend of mine, uh, Don Higgins from Real World. Very, very intelligent guy. I called Don and I said, "Hey, I got some observations and I want to throw at you and see what we can conclude." And I said, "Extremely loose skin, like a lot, like almost saggy skin. Um, hide was not the best condition. Uh, I don't want to say mange, but he had a lot of very thin spots, almost balding spots around his neck and shoulders. Um, he." Only had about a quarter inch of fat when I was caping him out. And I, the final piece of the puzzle, I didn't even realize till I was editing photos a week later. And I had taken some photos like from the hooves, you know, going up towards his antlers. Yeah. And I noticed the bottom of his hooves were cracked and they were, they were like splitting open. So I give all this information to Don and Don's like 100%. Uh, that's a EHD recovery buck. And he's like, that buck probably would not have survived the winter. Um, with only having a quarter inch of body fat and it being November 8th already, you know, he's a buck that probably would have just literally rutted himself to death, you know? Oh, wow. Um, so then fast forward a week 
uh, it's getting, it's winding down through the season. I start kind of compiling and I was pulling some trail cameras and then comparing them to trail camera pictures from earlier in the year and kind of matching up deer, finding out, okay, I had him on this farm, but now he's moved to this farm and, you know, yada, yada. And I came across the, the trail camera pictures and some trail camera video. And I'm like, I'm your son of a gun. I'm like, that's, that's the buck that I shot. I'm like, holy mo-, you know? So I think with the EHD, um, it really hurt him. You know, it's like whenever you and I, we get the flu or you, yeah. know, you lose a lot of body weight and stuff like that. You lose a lot of strength. Well, if you, you know, if you're a deer that goes through that kind of stress, um, it really hurt his body weight, hurt his health, and it restricted his antler development uh, because the early signs of velvet were just, I mean, he had all indications he was going to be a 75, maybe even 80 class deer. Wow. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that was that was cool. And it was one of those situations where I'm like, you know what, I'm glad I was able to take that buck because, um, you know, that he, Don's right. He probably wouldn't have survived the winter and, you know, would have had a very probably painful, uh, death, but I don't know. Then again, if he, if he died during the rut, then he might've died with a smile on his face. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Go, going out on top there. Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. That's a really unique story and, uh, something you don't hear about every day. Um, you had mentioned too, like, so you'd moved out to Iowa a couple years ago. I mean, obviously you're pretty, uh, pretty well known in the industry, John, and a lot of people have probably heard you, heard your podcasts and your show. And, you know, you've been on some of Dan's podcasts on Sportsman's Nation and, um, all that, uh, give us, give us a little background of, you know, how you got to Iowa, maybe where you grew up, how you got into hunting. Give us a little backstory for the people that may have not have listened to one of your thousand podcasts that have been out there. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, as I've, I always say, in a 12-inch by 12-inch square that I'm standing in, I'm a really big deal, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so, you know, I, I grew up in central Kentucky, in, around Lexington, uh, big, big Kentucky basketball, uh, Kentucky Wildcat basketball fan. Um, that's where I grew up, and we had, you know, we had cattle, we had horses, um, you know, rode a school bus every day. Um you know, going to school and hunting really wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that my family did. We were into race cars. We were into drag cars and circle track dirt, you know, dirt track cars and stuff. And that was kind of what we did. And, um, I had asked my dad once before about hunting and he tells me a story, you know, that he went hunting one time. Um, he'd never been, his buddies talked him into it. He sat in the rain. Uh, and it was one of those days where it was probably 33 degrees. So it, just was almost snow but instead it was just rain all day and he didn't have anything waterproof he froze himself to death and was like this is the worst sport in the world you know i'll never introduce this to my son or because there's just no way anybody would enjoy this um but in at that time in central kentucky we actually didn't have a lot of whitetails at all and i clearly remember a story when i was in high school my dad telling me one time he's like i saw a deer today (laughs) <laughs> and it was like everybody's like deal. forks drop on the plate you know yeah. <laughs> it was like what you saw a deer like was it was it a, and, and i and i wasn't even like is it a buck or a doe i was like is it a male or female <laughs> um i'm like how big was it where was it what color was it you know i'm like are they like what did it do did it run do they hop i mean i knew nothing about deer we didn't have them you know um and also and 
in, in that part of central Kentucky around Lexington, you know, it, it's horse country. So it's just fescue and that's it. Um, I mean, you need, everybody wants fescue. Hey, yeah. um, it's not a big ag area, you know, well, tobacco, but other than that, it's not a big ag area. So it wasn't conducive for whitetails and we just didn't have them. It wasn't until, uh, after college, uh, I got a degree in horticulture and I ended up moving to Northern Kentucky and became a police officer, um, in, in Northern Kentucky. And one of my buddies, uh, and I did a short film about this. It's called work more hours. Um, there's also the title. I wasn't always a hunter, uh, that people can look up if they want to, but, um, one of my buddies, he was from Cincinnati and he says, Hey, he's like, you know, let's get into deer hunting. And I'm like, eh, yeah, you know, I don't really know anything about that. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, no, man, we ought to do it. You know, we ought to get into deer hunting. I hear it's a lot of fun. Well, in Northern Kentucky, there is a lot of whitetails and there's a lot of, there's actually some really good whitetail hunting in Northern Kentucky, a lot of river bottom bucks and stuff like that. And it, it's also a little more rural. So you just have more trees and not as much, you know, open pasture. Yeah. So he says, you know, let's, let's get into it. Well, uh, I'm dating myself a little bit. Sure. I could have looked up some stuff on the internet, but you know, 25 years ago, you know, or 20 years ago, there wasn't as much information on the internet. Right. Yeah. So I went to the public library and I checked out books, you know, literally like whitetails 101 deer hunting for dummies or whatever, you know, it was yeah. I found and, and I racked up some late charges, um, <laughs> read every book cover to cover and that's how I taught myself um other than going out and doing it and you know like most people we went I went to Walmart and you know I bought like a Winchester 270 and I had probably some cheap scope and because uh, at the time I didn't know that glass was more important than gun you know uh, oh, yeah. I went for a good gun and cheap glass but um <laughs> and then I ended up uh you know getting some camo and, and we went out and we hunted we hunted our tails off. I mean, every chance we got, we were out hunting. And um, I'm like, this sucks. You know, like, <laughs> I've got to have some sign of success here. I, you know, like, man, I, I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in every day. So the last day of gun season, I, I shot a doe. Well, I had never seen, I had never shot a doe before. So I didn't even know what, how they would react. I shoot this doe. I remember it donkey kicking and, and runs off. And I'm like, eh, I guess I missed. I'm like, well, there's another doe. And, and in Kentucky, you get two doe tags. And I thought, well, here, there, there's another doe. Maybe I'll try to shoot that one, see if I can get that one. I shoot it, it donkey kicks and runs off. And I'm like, well, I suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to pick up a different sport because obviously I'm not cut out for this. And my buddy calls me and says, hey, I heard two gunshots. You know, did you get one? And I'm like, heck no, I missed. He's like, well, let's walk down there and check just to make sure. So we walk down there, and there's two dead doe laying there, you know, on the ground. <laughs> so I'm like, nice. this is the greatest sport ever, you know. And, uh, you know, you fast forward a couple years, and uh, then I was starting to I was starting to shoot bucks and, and really getting into it and starting to spend more time with trail cameras and scouting. Um, and then I turned to archery and, and once I turned to archery, I've never looked back. Um, I have, I have not hunted with anything other than a bow, um, since 2006, 2007, uh, 2007. Wow. Um, so went to switch to bow and, um, you know, it doesn't matter what the animal is, deer, 
uh, antelope turkey. I've, I've harvested them all, uh, you know, with archery equipment. And it's just, you know, more of a challenge. I love it. I still respect all forms of hunting. It's just bow is what kind of spoke to me or, you know, that was just the challenge that I wanted. And, you know, I saw myself getting more into that year-round lifestyle, um, you know, more food plots, more scouting, more trail cameras, and, and, and trying to get more involved in them. Um, you know, I want it to be up close and personal. I want it to be a challenge, you know. I mean, I don't want to shoot something from 400 yards away. And I get it, a lot of Western hunting, and there is some species that that's just how it's done. Um, and I'm okay with that. For my style of hunting and the animals that I pursue, you know, bows the way the way I go. But um, while I was a police officer and hunting in Kentucky, um, I went to a trade show. I went to the uh, Columbus, Ohio trade show, uh, deer and turkey. I think it's what, it Ohio Deer and Turkey Expo, Deer and Turkey Classic, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, it's a show that Field the Stream puts on, and and uh, I went there and I came across Wicked Tree Gear, and that's how I met my former business partner. Um, I liked the, at the time, Wicked just had a handsaw and, and was, uh, had a six, I think they had the, the six foot uh, pole saw at the time. So, um, became a dealer, became the national sales manager, and then I ended up purchasing part of the company. And then I got involved with, um, with a, a different web show. I was doing a doing a, I was on on a different web show, starting to record my hunts. I had never filmed a hunt of mine until the fall of 2013. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world, and then <laughs> until I did it, and then I'm like, this is kind of cool. You can yeah. go back and watch your hunt over again, you know, and really relive that moment, and you can share it with your friends and family and stuff like that, you know, and and see how the, the hunt unfolded and. Uh, so I really got into it and it was, it's a lot of fun documenting it. Cause I really do like sharing my stories and I like hearing other people's stories, um, of their encounters and success and failures. Cause you can learn, you know, you can learn from everything. Um, and in video just makes it so much better. Right. Sure. Um, so then, um, got a phone call one day and this guy says, uh, he says, John Mulligan, this is David Morris down here in South Texas. And I, and I legitimately thought it was one of my friends playing a joke on me. I thought I'm it was like, Dan Man. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was Dan or somebody, you know. But uh, so I'm like, this guy really does sound like David Morris. And, I, and I've watched a lot of Monster Bucks volume 1 through 982,000, you know. I mean, I've watched all of them, you know. Yeah. And, and I thought, man, I... I think this is David Morse. So we start talking and, and finally I'm like, Mr. Morse, I was like, I don't mean to sound rude, but, uh, like, what do you want? Like, why are you calling me? He's like, ah, you know, you know, I'm one of the owners of Tecamani Holdings and we'd like to purchase Wicked Tree here. So, um, my, my former business partner and I, we ended up selling Wicked Tree Gear, um, to Tecamani Holdings to bring that into the fold. Um, since then we've added, uh, a cooler, Glacier Coolers, there's Tecamani Seed, uh, Wicked Tree Gear, and there's also a brand new company called Wicked Tough Gear, which is all fishing. Um, knives, uh, fillet knives, uh, pliers, and stuff like that. And then we have some other accessories that we're going to be launching this summer um, that kind of utilize some of the Wicked Tree Gear technology as well uh, and some of our patented systems there. But 
um, because of the sale of the company, it was better for me to move to Iowa because that's where we were producing Wicked Tree Gear at the time is in southeast Iowa. And so it was kind of like, hey, twist my arm, right, to move to southeast <laughs> yeah. Iowa. So, uh, so I came on out here, uprooted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean there's decent here, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, after 16 years in law enforcement, uh, I walked away from it and uh, said, you know what, I'm going to have a little change in career paths and, and do something that's a little more based on my passion. And, and I like to think that I was a good cop, uh, but I had really lost the passion uh, for policing and not anything against policing or law enforcement. It's just that I was being pulled in a, another direction. You know, my passion for, for whitetails and, and the, you know, hunting industry as a whole, um, was becoming more and more apparent. Um, came out here to Iowa, ended up walking away from the old web show that I was a part of. And my focus was just going to be, photography and short films. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to do one or two short films a year and focus on photography. Um, doing another web show was really never part of the plan, but, um, a bunch of my former buddies that were on the other web show, you know, they reached out and said, Hey, we're done. Um, we're done with this web show, but we're not done filming hunts and telling stories. You know, if you want to start up another web show, just so you know, we're in. And it was, uh, it was kind of cool. You know, I mean, when you get phone calls from companies that you respect in the industry and they're like, Hey, I heard you stepped out on your own. We want to sponsor, we want to come on board and, and do some marketing with you and, and the new, the new program. And, uh, that was, that was a cool, cool thing. It kind of made me feel like maybe, maybe I was starting to be recognized, not as a celebrity, cause I, I don't want to be that. I never, I've never aspired to be that. Um, but I was respected you know, that I was doing good work and I was promoting these brands and I was taking good photos and telling good stories. Um, so that was a cool deal. So started arrow wild TV and, you know, fast forward, uh, to today, um, you know, John Mulligan is the marketing director for Tecamani holdings. Uh, I'm also the owner and the host of arrow wild TV. And, uh, there's another business, Johnny Utah creative, which, uh, offers, Facebook management, um, social media management for outdoor industry companies, and also freelance photography, lifestyle photography, and stuff for companies. Um, so yeah, it keeps me keeps me pretty busy. A husband and and a father of three. Um, so I'm I'm always on the move. It seems like. Yeah, and you got to find uh, time to hunt in between all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes you can get so caught up in the work, and you're like, oh, wait a second. The whole basis of all of this is I need to get out in the woods and hunt a little bit. Exactly. I know. That's, you know, the, this blog and the podcast has been great because I, I get to talk with people like yourself and, you know, get to produce content and share my expertise and, you know, tell stories and, and just learn in general. But, I found myself sometimes like sometimes now I got to force myself. I was like, all right, I got to get off the computer and I actually got right. I got to get outside and, you know, actually get some content and and hunt and enjoy uh-huh. myself. It you kind of get caught in that a little bit, but I've I've this past year I've really tried to kind of step back and be like, all right, why did I start this? It's it's because of hunting and I need to do more of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you know, there there is time that through all of this stuff, I'm like, you know, before any of this started, 
the first thing that happened was my love of hunting whitetails and my love of being outside. Um, you know, even going back to my degree, I mean, my degree is based on growing, growing stuff outside, um, you know, trees and, and grass and stuff like that. So, you know, everything has kind of come full circle to where now it's just, I feel like I have a newfound appreciation for all of every, you know, all of the outside, um, nature and wildlife and how everything interacts with each other. And, and I would, I'm always, you know, I'm the person that would, I would prefer to be outside. I mean, if there wasn't inclement weather, uh, or if it wasn't 98 degrees with humidity in Iowa, I would probably even have an office that was just outside. <laughs> you know? um, exactly. I just, that's where I prefer to be. Yeah. Yeah. And spe- speaking outside, let's, uh, let's transition over to some Western hunting. Cause, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to hear about your antelope hunts and, and, and doing that out West. I, I've actually never been antelope hunting and it's something that I definitely want to do. I wanted to try it this past August, but man, it just seems like stuff always gets in the way. I just kind of need to book it and plan it and actually follow through on it. So let's, let's transition to that and, and, and talk a little bit about your, your Western hunting in that regard. And, um, maybe I I guess kind of start us out. Like why, why did you want to hunt antelope? Where, where did you kind of begin with planning it and, and how did it all come to be? So, um, Guys like Jason Matzinger, um, I respect so much, and he does so much for hunting. And, and a lot of, you know, I'd say probably 95% of his hunting is Western, you know, hunting. Yep. And uh, so a big fan of his work. And and then after my involvement becoming one of the Sitka Ambassadors uh, back in 2015, and I'm, I'm still part of that ambassador program with Sitka, uh, you know, they're based in Bozeman. So um, I started going out to to Montana to visit, whether it was with Sitka or the total archery challenges and stuff like that. And I'm like, gosh, man, this is just so gorgeous out here. You know, everything about this thing is so awesome. And I kept watching these guys hunt elk and hunt antelope and mule deer and stuff like that. And, um, a good friend of mine, Donnie Wilson and I started talking and we were going to put together this game plan that we were going to go chase antelope with our bows. And at the last minute, Donnie ended up backing out. He had, um, he's, man, the guy, is, he's, he's a great dad. And he's so involved with his kids and their soccer and stuff like that. But there was a big soccer tournament coming up, and, and he had to bail on the trip. So I ended up going. This was the fall of 2016. I ended up going out there. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, it was almost <laughs> comical, you know? Um, and this was to Montana? I had, yeah, yep. Okay, I was cool. in southeast Montana, um, and I had hooked up with Jordan Gill. Um, Jordan Gill was running a camera uh, for, for on, on the hunt, and at the time, I want to say that Jordan himself had never taken an antelope at that time, but he had run a camera on probably 50 antelope hunts, so he basically was the leading expert on the hunt. <laughs> on antelope hunting, you know, Good he, guy so to he have. kind of served as like a guide and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a mentor on this hunt. And we battled some really, it was really, really windy. And, and, um, like I said, I just didn't, I didn't know how to react to the antelope. I like, I had no idea how skittish they would be. And then, um, you know, you really can't hesitate. You really can't pause. And, 
you really have to methodically plan stuff out. And, and I was going at any, any time I saw an antelope, I was trying to put a stalk on it. And I was just wearing myself out. Like I just, it seemed like I spent four days crawling around <laughs> and uh, trying to get close to these things and just could not do it. I finally got, got in on one and I got, I was so razzled or frazzled, you know, I was just, I was out of it and I forgot to adjust my single pin sight. And I ended up shoot, launching one right over the back of this, this antelope, Had, you know, dead to rights, you know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Just a, felt like a rookie mistake, you know? But uh, everything had happened so fast, and next thing I know, this antelope's right there at 50 yards. And I'm like, ooh, well, my pin was set, like, for 65 on the last uh, time I thought I was going to have a shot. But So I shoot one, you know, right over the back of this thing. And then that's pretty much it. That's how the hunt ends, and I'm like, oh. Man, I'm going back to I'm going back home, you know, eating tag soup, and I'm like, oh, man, that's a humbling experience, right? Yeah. Uh, so the next year, 2017, I'm like, you know what? I want to go back. I want to give it another shot. Now, in the meantime, I had more time to prepare. Um, I had reached out and talked to guys like Lyle from Stone Glacier. Um, Lyle Hebel is. That guy is an antelope killer, man. Like, the, he's ridiculous. <laughs> he's like the antelope whisperer. And I talked to him, and, and one of the things that he told me that was probably the most important, and that was, this would be the thing I'd pass on to anybody going at antelope hunting, is um, if you see a goat, kind of evaluate the odds. Like, look at the terrain features. Where can I stalk from? How long is it going to take? You know, because uh, you do so much driving around, especially on public land. So we did all, that's the other thing to add in, we did all public land hunting. Uh, no water holes, no ground blinds, no decoys. Um, it was 100% public land with archery equipment. So you're driving on roads and you're glassing and glassing. Well, if you see a goat and it's like two miles away, well, forget it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably the, that, that's a low percentage stock. But if you see a goat that's, you know, 200, 300 yards away, and there's there's an, uh, a big terrain feature or um, some kind of a ditch that you can dip into to close the distance uh, relatively quick. So that way, if you were to go on it and it's a failed stock, you can get back in your vehicle and you didn't lose a lot of time, you know, because you almost want to freeze time while you're out there. Yeah. You go on these traveled hunts and you usually have a start date and an end date and you got to make it happen in between. You got to get back to work or whatever, mm-hmm. or maybe even the airfare or catching a flight. But I drove out there, um, gave myself, uh, basically gave myself four days, four full days of hunting to try to make this happen. And he's like, man, choose high percentage stocks. If it's a low percentage stock, just keep driving. Cause trust me, you'll drive within five, 10 minutes. You'll probably spot another one. Um, so yeah. that was probably the biggest piece of advice that anybody had given me and was probably proved to be the most beneficial. Um, yeah, it seemed like the first year from what days, you were telling me, uh, it seemed like you were just going on seeing one and, and it didn't matter where one. it was, yeah. you'd, you'd go, you know, and you kind of wasted yep. a lot of, not wasted, but you know, it wasn't very high percentage. Like you said, it sounds like you learned from that, got some good advice and then you kind of took that to the next level on your following year. Exactly. And that was, and that was, that was clutch, man. Um, during, on the second hunt, I probably only went on 12 stocks in four days. Um, they were just all very high percentage. Now it may take a little while and you had to play a little bit of a chess match, but you know, I felt they were pretty high, high odds. 
and the the fourth night um I'd gone on a stock on a, on a particular buck um that I had actually spotted like on day three and went after him and I launched an arrow and I missed it was like eighty just shy eighty yards. Um, but it was a calm, I felt comfortable in the shot and I had been practicing all summer long, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 yards. I'd been doing that all summer long. Um, so I felt comfortable taking the shot and I shot right underneath this, this goat. I thought, oh, well, that's it. Sun's going down. I'm like two years in a row. Um, went back to my tent, was sleeping in my tent. And the guy that was with me, I said, hey, I know the plan was to get up early in the morning and hit the road and and head back to Iowa. I said, you know, technically we have to drive past that piece of state land on our way back to Iowa. Um, You know, we're already here. You know, would you mind uh, hanging with me uh, for just a couple hours? And let's let's just give it one last go. Um, And that's what we did. It all paid off. And I made a deal with him. I said, um, I had, you know, if I don't have an arrow, uh, in a goat by eight o'clock, that's it. We're done. We're out of here. And at seven thirty-seven AM, <laughs> uh, I made a 72 yard shot on, on an antelope on public ground there. And, wow. and it was just like, Oh my gosh, man. And, and it was right. And we got really lucky. There was a piece of private right next to us, and I had, I had ended up talking to the landowner, the ranch owner there, and they said, look, you guys can park your truck in our driveway uh, to get off the road. And, and it gave us some access points, you know, to this alfalfa field uh, that was on some BLM and some state ground there. So it was, it was huge, so, so huge. And when I say I shot this thing close to private, um, this goat was probably 20 yards from private and I think he just, he felt comfortable there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just, he felt safe. And so I ended up sticking, sticking this antelope and it was like the, the coolest rush, you know, the the feeling you're just like, Oh my gosh, I finally pulled this off. And, um, but also we needed to get back to Iowa because we both needed to get back to work. (laughs) So it was a mad scramble Cape pull some, you know, pull meat, uh, best we can get on ice and we were on the road and I was so proud. I even had the Cape and the, you know, the skull, uh, and the horns. I had them sitting right in the back seat of the crew cab. And I'm like, <laughs> every time I look in the rear view, I'm like, this is awesome. We probably didn't make it 10 miles down the road. And I pulled off on the side of the road and I had to put the goat in the back of the truck with the ice. Cause it's stunk, you know, it <laughs> too distracting. So bad. Oh, stinky, yeah. I mean, they're awful. So, uh, and I guess that's what you get, you know, the whole phrase, you know, smelling like a goat, you know, but, um, yeah, well, that's really, yeah. really then, cool. Well, and so the other, the, the last part of this is I'd been home, uh, for like four or five days and a buddy of mine, who's not an antelope hunter, he's never hunted out West. He calls me, he says, Hey, have you measured that goat? And I said, no, I, I haven't. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, yeah, it's an antelope. You know, I mean, I went out, I just did one. an archery public yeah. land hunt. I'm like. I'm not measuring this thing. And he's like, I go, besides, I don't even know how you score these things. And, uh, and he's like, it's really simple. I'm like, well, do you get like a spread credit? Like you get time length, you get four mass measurement. Yeah. I'm thinking white tails. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, no, dude, it's super simple. It's really, really simple. 
So he ends up sending me an email, and it's the instructions on how to score one. So a couple days goes by. He calls me. He's like, hey, he's like, did you, did you score that thing yet? And I'm like, no, dude, I got more important stuff to do. You know? <laughs> and so finally he's like, for the love of God, please score that antelope. He's like, I've never been antelope hunting, but I've seen a lot of people who have, and I really think your antelope is really big. So <laughs> I ended up taping him, and I did it three times. I, and I was like an eighth of an inch off, you know, each measurement. And I called him and I gave him the lowest of the three measurements. And the only thing he says is USOV. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And he's like, you just killed a Boone and Crockett antelope on public land with a bow. No shit. And he's like, I hate you. <laughs> wow, that's so, so cool. He, he made Boone and Crockett by five eighths of an inch. <laughs> Holy cow! That's so that a way to awesome. that's a way to start it off right there with a monster. Yeah, I'm antelope. like that's it. I'm one and done. I'm retiring. I'm done antelope. <laughs> yeah, hang it up, John. <laughs> Never go back. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. But you know, and it, and it wasn't about the score. You know, you know, it just it was a challenge, man. You know, it's all in good fun. But a lot of my Western buddies. You know, they're all joking about, ah, oh, look at this monster elk. You've never killed a monster elk like that. And I'm like, well, you've never, you know, shot a 150, <laughs> 160 class whitetail or yeah. whatever, you know. And and we all go back and forth, you know. Well, I shot mine with a bow. Well, you shot your with a high-powered. <laughs> and it's all in good fun. Yeah. Um, and there was probably some of that involved with me wanting to go out there just to see if I could. You know, I wanted to go out on their turf and play with their animals, um, to see if I could do it. And, and I think that's what life is all about. All, you know, you, yeah. you know, you got to challenge yourself to do different things and whatever your motivation is, as long as it's in uh, good spirits or good faith, you know, who cares, whatever it takes to make you want to go out and do, you know, new things and, and pursue new things. Um, but yeah, it's a ton of fun, but people have asked me after that hunt, they're like, um, so what's the best way to, you know, harvest an antelope? I'm like, take a rifle. <laughs> by far just take a rifle man <laughs> yeah i imagine that's got to be pretty difficult you know because they're they're very skittish and they they stand out in the open and it's just really uh-huh. tough you're probably just playing the numbers game right you're just trying to go on as many stocks as possible and hopefully something will yeah something will go right yep and that's exactly what it comes down to yep uh, and i think that's uh and that's a tactic that's a you know that a lot of people will use you know uh, play the numbers, uh, high percentage stocks, um, and bring plenty of arrows because it's <laughs> yeah. very possible that the state of Montana will send me a ticket for littering because uh, <laughs> I left a few behind that I never found. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like it seems like antelope hunting would be a really good, at least for archery or I mean, or rifle. It'd be a very good introductory hunt for somebody who's maybe just used to whitetail hunting from a tree stand. Like you get on the ground, sure. um, you know, you get some spot and stalk in and you're, you're kind of got that Western open terrain that you're not, that you're not used to. So it's a good, maybe introductory hunt to maybe mule deer or elk, uh, further down the line. It seems like it's just a good beginner, get your feet wet and very challenging, uh, like you said. And, uh, but it seems like it's a good start transition from whitetail maybe to, to, to Western big game. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, and ironically, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of whitetails uh, on the wall, um, shoulder mounts and, and European mounts, and I've got a, you know, full strut Eastern and stuff like that. And 
uh, out of all the animals, my, that's the one that my wife is the most excited to have, you know, have me pick up from the taxidermist. Um, cause they are really, really beautiful animals. Yeah. Um, cool. cool colors. So she's like, ah, it's just, it's something different. It's got some white, it's got some tan, it's got some black, you know? So, um, she's like, yeah, you need to get that thing picked up from the taxidermist <laughs> as soon as you can, you know? So I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. You know, she's actually looking forward to it. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and you mentioned, so like a lot of your time was just spent driving around, um, you know, kind of checking out all these different pieces now did you do a lot of scouting and kind of digital you know google earth onyx maps kind of figuring out all these different pieces and do a lot of that or were you kind of relying more on your your buddies out there to kind of well this is a good area or no this isn't um kind of what did that look like uh so the first year that i went out there it was based on a lot of information from jordan and guys like lyle you know they said hey here's some areas that yeah. you might want to focus your, your time in. Um, and when I was out there the first year, I was, um, I was right, keeping kind of a ledger and, and writing down particular roads, uh, and sections of roads that we either saw a lot of goats or there was a lot of BLM or a lot of state ground. Um, and so I had a little bit of that going into that second hunt. Um, but then what I did, uh, I pulled up, through the Onyx map, um, I actually pulled up some maps and was basically plotting my course and said, if I can drive a 30-mile stretch here and kind of figure out my route, you know, go up here, make a left turn, go up here, make a right turn, go straight through that intersection, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. And through this 30-mile one-way route, there's only about three miles of road where I'm not on public ground. And I'm like, you know what, that's a 26 out of 30 miles that's killable area, you know, huntable area. And I thought, that's got good odds because, you know, again, you're only out there for four days, so I want, every, want to make every minute count. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of plotted out myself that way to at least minimize the window time, the downtime of non-hunting areas. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with, uh, with Ben Harshan and Huntera, yep. but when it comes to the Western stuff and the mobile, uh, mobile maps kind of style of the public ground, uh, that was the Onyx stuff was very, very beneficial. And what I, something that Onyx doesn't promote, um, and I'm not sure why they don't promote it, but if you take, I had a little mini, the little mini SD card, you know, from Montana. Yeah. And if you go and you get, uh, you can go to a pawn shop for like 40, 50 bucks and you can pick up those old Garmin newbies. It has to be a Garmin, but you can pick up those old Garmin newbies. Um, as long as it will accept a mini SD, you can pop that SD card in there for the state that you're in. Now you don't have all of the features like you would on your home computer or something like that. Uh, or a handheld GPS device. But what you do have is it will run the colors in the background of that map. So that thing's mounted on my dashboard. As I'm driving around, I can see, oh, in about a half mile, I'm coming up on another block of, of public. And it's a little bit bigger screen as well, you know? Yeah, that's a um, good tip. Yeah, because I'm always, I'm always driving around. I got my head buried in my phone. It's not safe. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes horrible. it's not loading or you didn't download this area before and you don't have service. It's just kind of a pain in the ass. And that's a, that's a, really, uh -huh. that's a good pro tip. I like that, John. 
Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> that is huge. So if you've got the if you've got the SD card, man, just go to a friggin' pawn shop. You know, feel sorry for the person it got stolen from previously, <laughs> but you know, forty fifty bucks, get a you know, get a get a Garmin. Um, you know, the old school GPS units pop that map in and that way you're looking out the windshield, you know, and like you said, you're, you're not buried in. Uh, and that was the other thing when I was out there, my phone, I had no service at all. So I wasn't able to pull up any maps yeah. you know, if I wanted. Yeah. And if you don't cache your maps and people are like, Oh, well, you just cache your maps. And well, when you're on a hunt, a destination hunt, especially something like that, where you're moving around, I don't know where I'm going to be. Exactly. You know, what was I supposed to do? Download 400 maps, you know? <laughs> um, so anyways, that was a that is a that was clutch, man. That was a game changer for sure, and it, it's something that I'll always do if I go back out there again. Yeah, makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, what what did what time of year was this? Was this August September? Um, were they uh, first week September. September, September first through okay. the fifth. Yeah, yeah, they were they were. Uh, um, you know, we saw some bucks chasing off some older bucks, chasing off some juvenile bucks. Um, and then we saw a lot of bucks that had, you know, five to 12, you know, does pinned down and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, that was, that was rut time. Um, and it's a fun time. I mean, because again, they're running around so much and, you know, you could drive down a stretch of road and, you'd go five miles and you're like, dang on, I didn't see a single antelope. And you'd get to the end of this road, you'd turn around, make a U-turn and just go right back. And you're like, five minutes ago, there wasn't a single antelope here. And now we're looking at 50. Wow. Um, Cause you know, you got to figure if they run 55 miles an hour, they're covering some ground in one minute. Yeah. They're a mile from where they were in one minute. Wow. Um, and it seems like those things, man, they have like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, they kind of, they walk around, meander around. They even walk fast. They're like mall walkers, even when they walk. <laughs> so they're getting it, you know. And when they want to run, man, they cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. Yeah, so what what was like that ideal scenario that you were looking for that was high percentage? Was it like a terrain feature that you could get close, obviously, or was it like yeah, it wasn't moving? Was it bedded? Like what what was kind of that ideal setup that um, you were looking to get into? I think the home run is. I mean, they're you know they do smell not like a whitetail, but they do smell a little bit, and um, so you know your perfect eight like grand slam scenario for me uh was if you could find one bedded facing away um which is not oh you know kind of where you know like a whitetail will bed with the wind in his back yeah and he's facing and looking at what he can't smell it seems like a lot of the goats sometimes you could catch them where they would be bedded even with the wind in their uh the wind, you know, Facing at an opposite the direction. The wind would be yeah. in their face almost. Yeah. Uh, so a Grand Slam situation would be to try to find one that you could find bedded facing away. And again, they can't smell quite as, you know, quite as good as a whitetail. Um, so even if the wind wasn't perfect, but to find one bedded facing away didn't have a lot of does. Because you can imagine a lot of does, that's just a lot of extra eyeballs on you. Um, and they see so good. It's unbelievable. Um, but... 
yeah, try to find one bedded facing away and, and, and still yet have a little bit of a terrain feature. So the other thing is, uh, you know, when you look through binos, it compresses everything. So you're like, oh, look, there's a terrain feature. If I can make it to that terrain feature, I can raise up, and I'm going to be like a 50-yard poke. And then you get there, and you range it, and you're like, damn it, I'm still 92 yards away. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, because the binos will compress compress your, your image so much. But, um, yeah, always looking for terrain features that you can use to close the distance, whether it be a ditch um, or a big uh, a knoll or something like that. But, man, they're, they're pretty good. You know, those antelope. A lot of times you'd find them grouped up or bedded up in the very center of like a bowl. And you're like, how in the world am I going to get to this thing? You know, he'll pick me off before I break 200 yards. So you say, okay, low percentage, get back in the truck, keep moving. Um, They do cross roads a lot. And there's a lot of ditches on both sides of the road. And that was a a tactic that, uh, that I used. The first time I went out and the second time I used, and that tactic was uh, was taught to me from from Jordan and from Lyle, and they, it's like you know they call it ditch diving, and you're in a vehicle and you just bail out into a ditch, and a lot of times <laughs> it seems they'll watch that vehicle keep driving, and it gives you a chance to go ahead and whether you're going to barrel roll like Chuck <laughs> Norris or whatever you're doing, but you get in position, uh, and then you can use that ditch you know to to run parallel and kind of close the distance if possible. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's really those are cool. a couple of tactics that I used, and the other thing I'd tell people is don't hesitate. If there's a chance, again, not the low percentage stocks, but the ones that are potentially high percentage, um, like just go because if it's a busted stock, cool, get back to the truck. Don't waste two, three hours on something that you know. Just make your move. Um, they will let you close the distance. And my buddy, Matt McCormick, uh, over at Sitka, he told me, he said, dude, just make it happen. He's like, dude, that's all you got to do. Just make it happen. (laughs) I'm like, what? You make it sound so simple. And he goes, look, man, they're going to give you two or three seconds uh, when you come to full draw. They pick you off. Um, But they're not going to give you much more than that. That's plenty of time to anchor and release. Just You just have to do it. Don't hesitate. Um, So that was another tactic that I kind of used the second time around, which is, you know, don't pussyfoot around, man. You know, yeah. um, just uh, just make it happen. And if it doesn't, chalk it up and uh, yep, okay, back to the truck. Let's go find another one. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's true with a lot of western hunting. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, like you you even just hunting from the ground in general. Like when you're a tree stand, you can kind of you know, all right, he's gonna come through this lane. He's gonna you know move move through this. This is where I can draw western hunting. It's just kind of react and 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 uh, don't mm-hmm. hesitate, like you said, just play for the moment which is pretty cool yeah exactly yeah, yeah. It, such a fun fun animal man they're oh, for sure they're cool they're cool to watch and you know even times that you'd have a blown stock you just kind of sit there and you're like yeah <laughs> you know that was cool <laughs> you know like got close and let's try it again so um but you know the second one i was out there uh if you remember uh September, August, late, late August, September of 17, there was all the wildfires out there. Mm-hmm. And the first few days we were there, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of wet, a lot of West winds. So because I was in Southeast Montana, we were getting all that haze, all that smoke and all that was blowing down on us. 
and I mean, my eyes, uh, I wear contacts and man, my eyes were just killing. They were bloodshot, oh, sounds burning awful. red. And every night I was just giving myself like visine baths, you know, uh, trying to get some relief or whatever. But, uh, on that fifth day, you know, I'm not big on, um, fate, uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of cheesy, but I, I've always believed in the make your own luck kind of philosophy. And, but that last day that I was there, um, I remember the winds had shifted and we had gotten like a Northeast or a Southeast, but it was enough of an East that it was blowing the smoke the other way. And skies were clear. It was beautiful. There was no haze in the air. There was no smoke in the air. It was, it was just awesome. I'm like, eh, yeah, maybe, maybe it was all just meant to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Better, better to be lucky than good sometimes. And everything kind of falls into place. And, uh, you, you mentioned like you were driving around a lot. Um, but was there a certain time of day that you were finding maybe where they kind of were, were more of your stocks in the middle of the day where you kind of getting on them right at first light on their way back to bed? Like, what did that look like? Uh, so I was, I had focused my, uh, concentrated my areas a lot around alfalfa. Um, at that early part of the year, alfalfa was still green and growing uh, really well. Um, so I was focusing on a lot of morning and evening feeding patterns. And we had, we had every day, we had really consistent, constant action. Uh, I mean, I can't ever say there was ever any time during the day where it was just like, ah, this three hour block sucked. Yeah. Um, but definitely the mornings the you know, the first three hours of the morning and the last two hours of daylight every day were definitely peaks. Um, like I said, focusing on that alfalfa so much, you'd get, you'd get them coming from bedding in the sage and then they'd be coming to some alfalfa in the mornings. And that was always very, uh, very, very high percentage because they were moving. Um, they were crossing a lot of ditches and stuff like that. And they were kind of grouped up a little bit more where you just, you saw more numbers. Um, and we definitely had a lot more success, uh, mornings and mornings and, and last lights. Yeah, no, that makes makes a whole lot of sense, man. John, you got me got me all jacked up and excited. I want to go shoot an antelope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know another reason why I didn't want to do water holes is just like you know African animals, um, they're so skittish. They know that they, I think they you know they realize that there's a chance of being vulnerable. Yeah, you know while they're bending over, uh, drinking water, they got their head buried in some water, and, and they're losing a lot of that. Uh, peripheral vision and stuff like that so there's a chance of being ambushed and let's face it you know predators realize that too that mm-hmm. that's a chance when they're vulnerable so i think it's something that's it's bred into their dna and uh whatnot so i know a lot of people that have had some very very high odds and a lot of success on water holes uh, but a lot of times sitting near a water hole there's a really good chance you're probably going to be sitting in a ground blind and it was like 98 degrees and a ground blind is not someplace I wanted to be sitting in a, in a sweat, sweat oh, box yeah. um, near a water hole. And again, because the, the type of animals that they are, yes, they require water. Um, and yes, they will probably come to a water source. But is it going to be that water source? And how many hours are you going to sit there before you see one? I'm like, screw that, man. You know, I want to I go find them. Yeah. And we'll just keep driving around and, and, and we'll go after them that way. 
Um, so that was another reason why I wanted to do that. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll admit it. There was probably part of me too that didn't want somebody to say, Oh, so you just sat on a water hole. And killed one. <laughs> oh, that's easy. You know, you're cheating. <laughs> yeah. You cheat. Talk- it's like it's yeah. an antelope with archery equipment. Yeah. And, you no know, shit. you almost need every, every tip and tactic and, you know, luck to go your way. Oh yeah, yeah. No, from from what I've heard and what you're telling me, it's it's not an easy task. That's that's for sure. Um, talk to us a little bit about the the situation with your tags. Like, was this an over the counter tag? How much did it cost? Um, kind of that process. Yeah. Um, so not well. I, I guess technically, uh, I guess not over the counter. Uh, it is a it is a lottery. It was that uh, that nine hundred tag, um, archery tag. And it is a it is a limited draw, um, but my understanding is if you're a resident, you can you can put in for that tag, and you know you'll get it or whatever. And then and then as far as non-resident goes, um, I remember I remember waking up and they were going to put those tags uh, active on their site on sale at like. 6 a.m. or something, uh, and I remember <laughs> going online at right at 6 a.m. and and you know putting in for the tag, and I was able to get one. So it, it is a as long as you do your homework and, and you and you get in on the right time and the right days, um, you know you can you can get the tag. I mean, I think it's probably like a 90 percent you know chance of getting getting the tag as a non-resident. Um, but one thing here's another here's another uh, pro tip number uh, three here uh, for the podcast. Uh, if you're a non-resident, you're going to put in for that for that tag. Go ahead before the tag goes on sale and get like uh, there's like a, a conservation stamp, yeah, and uh, an archery stamp. Go ahead and get those because you have to have those in your cart um, before they'll allow you to select uh, that tag that that archery antelope tag. Um, so that may take two, three, four minutes or whatever to get those added to the cart, you know? So go ahead and get in the system, get your, get your license number, your Montana license number situated. Do your, you know, go ahead and get your copy of your, um, uh, your hunter safety requirement. If, if it's required for your age, uh, go ahead and have that in the system ready to go get that archery stamp out of the way, so then when they go on sale, the only thing you have to do is add that actual hunting tag uh, in your cart and get checked out. Yeah, so, it makes sense because minutes can really matter uh, when it comes to some right. of those yep. leftovers. Yeah, <laughs> you can miss uh-huh. out in a matter of seconds sometimes. I've, I've been, in, been in that boat for sure. Yeah. And what did, what did the tag cost? Do you remember? Oh. Uh, With everything, like your license and habitat and... Uh, 250 Two fifty? Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, two fifty, two sixty, somewhere around there, under under three hundred. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely a fair. I, I don't know what other uh, states cost, but I mean, it seems really yeah. reasonable for for. It sounds yeah. like good numbers and 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 good quality of of hunts and and um, for the price. I mean, it just seems like it's a a good way to get introduced to Western hunting because a lot of the you know mule deer, elk. I mean, you're talking six, seven hundred bucks sometimes. Uh huh. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't hateful at all. Um, and you know, like I said, we, you know, we drove, uh, for me, it ended up being like 13, maybe just shy of 14 hours, 
um, to drive uh, for me. So it wasn't bad, but uh, man, how nice is that? Like when you have your truck and you can take all of the gear oh, that you possibly yeah. might need. Uh, that's that's so awesome. And were you staying with your buddies, or were you guys camping? Was there public areas that you could camp? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were camping. Um, yeah, we we had a couple of tents, and and I, you know, because we had a truck, I took like a ten by ten canopy um, to set up a table underneath that, so we could stay out of the sun, and you know, kind of gave us a place also to hang some of our clothes and our gear and dry stuff out, or you know, whatever from the canopy. But uh, that that worked really nice. Um, pro tip number four. We ended up, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we, uh, so uh, a good friend of mine, uh, I have to mention him, a uh, good friend of mine, JC Hall. He's a camera guy and, and video editor producer uh, for, I want to say the show is called On the Road. Um, Aaron Lewis. Okay. Lead singer yep. from members from Spain. Yeah. Um, so he, he was living in Montana at the time. And he was living like 10 minutes away from where I was, where I was hunting. And he's like, dude, you're coming out here. He's, he's like, I got a spot for you. So it was like day three, we're starting to smell pretty funky. Even though we had water and I had like one of those portable shower units and stuff like that, like you just can't get completely clean. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And there wasn't any creeks or streams that we had located to go get into and try to take a bath and, there was a local rancher that they had like a guest trailer that no one was using. And they're like, Hey, you guys want to pop in there and take a shower? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so I don't know, man, I never traveled with the grateful dead, but, um, I'm telling you, I could do that vagabond nomad lifestyle in a second, oh. and just meet some locals and pop in and take a bath and, you know, they even uh, invited us into their house one night. Hey, would you like a cold beer? Yes, I would. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had some breaks along the way, and it's amazing how much a nice cold beer um, and a nice hot shower will really, really pick up the spirits you yeah. know, on a hunt. Yeah, you got to take what you can get in that scenario. That's that's cool, yep. man. Yep, well, it sounds, sure. sounds like an awesome hunt and, uh, you know, lots of good tips, lots of good info, lots of good strategy and, and inspiration too. It's all, you know, hopefully people listen to this and they're like, man, I want to go do that. It sounds, sounds like a, a cool way to dip into Western hunting. I appreciate it. Dude, I'm telling you, it, it, it is fun. And, you know, and right after the hunt, you know, somebody's like, man, you know, I want to go with you, you know, next year, you know, let's go do that. And, uh, I said, man, if I ever come back, I'm bringing a rifle. <laughs> and of course that was my reaction after going through that, you know? And, um, but by the time I drove back to Iowa, I was already like, I, you know what? I want to go do that again. I want to take my bow again. Yep. But what I've decided is, uh, have you ever talked to anybody that went on a cruise and they went just like husband, wife, or they went on a honeymoon. They're like, yeah, it was fun, but it would have been more fun if we had like a bigger group with us, you know? So Do like an I have, camp? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have kind of put together this idea that the next time I go, I want to take like, I want like a dozen dudes. That'd be cool. And that way you can split up into six two-man teams. You have a central camp, almost like elk camp, you know, have a central camp and everybody just, um, uh, goes their separate ways each day and and just you know what i mean have have more fun with it you know i just think the camp life would be more fun and um 
and then it, you know even if you don't get something you still have that hunt camp that hunt experience so yeah. the next time i go that's that's the way i'm going to do it i'm going to go out with a big group of guys yeah um, and again cool. like i talked about it, it it's an affordable hunt you know some of these hunts you know elk hunt you're like oh man i'm two grand in and i haven't even stepped foot onto the first piece <laughs> of ground um yeah so, and you don't have to you know, go crazy with gear hunt. yeah you don't have to buy you know crazy backpacks and you know that stuff no, you don't have to buy no. a lot of the western hunting gear that you might need for elk hunting you can probably get away with a lot of the stuff you have for whitetail oh for sure yeah for sure i mean i wore some open country sitka stuff um i wore the uh, the mountain pants you know with the knee pads yeah because you do spend a lot of time on your knees so i do recommend that uh but not necessarily required you know um I think a couple of days I had on some crispies and then a couple of days I just had on a pair of Solomon tennis shoes, some speed crosses, you know, and, yep. um, the day that I, I shot, uh, shot my antelope, I wasn't even wearing a camo top. I was just wearing a tan Sitka long sleeve shirt. Um, and it blended right in with the sage and, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, you don't need a lot of gear, um, at all. I mean, it, it's a really simple, it's a really simple hunt because, if they're going to see you, they're going to see you, you know yeah, what I mean? Movement. So yeah. just get in. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to see movement. Just get in as close as you can and, and make it happen and just send it, you know, <laughs> take 10, 12 it. arrows. Yeah. That's exactly. it. Just send it, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, cool, John. Well, I, I appreciate the, the story then and all this stuff. It's been great. Before we jump off here, tell us, tell us where we can go to find out a little bit more about you, your show, um, social media, all that stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I don't do as much with Facebook anymore. Um, but Instagram is probably the, the most consistent, you know, place to, to find me. It is, uh, johnny.utah.hunt, uh, is my Instagram account. Also arrow wild TV, uh, is, is the, the hunting web show, uh, Instagram account. There's also a Facebook page, but, uh, we do our web shows on YouTube, Facebook, and Carbon TV, and we're actually really starting to get a get a high score on Carbon TV with our show, which is which is really cool to see uh, that people are really engaging with the show and they they like the content that we're putting out. But um, I can't take all the credit for the show. Uh, I've got I've got some good guys on the team that that are really hardworking, good guys, and also give a ton of credit to my buddy, Wade James from ad Live collective. He's just a beast of an editor and, and he's essentially, he's kind of the producer of the show. Really, man. Uh, I film the stuff or my guys film the stuff and we send it to him and, and I give him a lot of leeway. I'm like, Hey, play the story out. You know, this, I might say, this is what I want to have, you know, but, um, kind of let bit. him put it all together and let yeah. it flow. And he's just a super, super, super talented, uh, talented guy and and a very respected guy um just a, a super super dad and and great husband and he uh, i tease him and say that he makes me want to be a better person you know what i mean so but uh man i am i've had a lot of uh, i've had a lot of fun doing this stuff and i can't wait to have more fun doing it um but i'm also the type of person that realizes that i didn't i didn't get to what i'm doing being able to do what i do totally on my own and I've had a lot of good support staff and, and people that have uh, helped me, supported me, kind of backed me on it or encouraged me, pushed me to do more and, and just having fun with it, man. But um, would love to hear comments and, and interact with people. I like hearing about their stories and, 
if I'm out at a trade show somewhere and I bump into somebody, somebody sees me, like, please, like, come by, say hello. I'm a very approachable person. I'm not a jerk, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. You're a great guy, John. Let's let's have a beer I in a few it. weeks at an ATA. That's right. I'm looking forward to it, man. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, I appreciate you, John. Thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Sounds good, brother. Thank you. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Thanks again, John, for coming on the show. If you like what you're hearing, definitely, definitely, definitely go to sportsmansnation.com and you can subscribe to the podcast and our newsletter that we're going to be putting out. Just go to sportsmansnation.com. All you have to do is enter your email, and it's done. Uh, lots of cool con- content coming down the pipe, videos, blog posts, new podcasts from you know big game to whitetail to fishing to bear hunting all that stuff and what's cool is transition wild is getting its own rss feed in 2019 so you'll be able to find this podcast a lot easier and you could subscribe to that as a standalone as well so definitely check out sportsmansnation.com and subscribe there you can, as mentioned earlier you can go to transitionwild.com and get the colorado beginner elk hunting guide by subscribing to my site. It's going to get you started, get you prepared for your first first elk hunt. And let's see here. As mentioned earlier, if you're interested in hunting and and having a spectacular time, one of the most beautiful places to hunt elk you can ever imagine with some cabins that have all the accommodations you would ever want for that type of hunt, definitely, definitely, definitely send me an email, adam at transitionwild.com or go to the contact page on my site and title the email hunt cam or title the message hunt cam and we can kind of go from there. It's a cool, cool spot. Highly recommend it. 625 bucks a person. It's a, it's a real advantage for a week. So hit me up on that and that's, that's pretty much it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go any further. It's, it's a new year. Start planning. Life is short. Go on the hunt. Make it happen. And thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.